I just think it's so beautiful that we have so many different people. If, if you only knew who we were, if you only knew. Sometimes uh, we have security cameras here and I just have to check on the building from time to time and every once in a while I'll see under the awning of a church and you may be that person that's here. They do it close enough so that you can't see their face but they can't do it so close that you can't see them but they take refuge and shelter under the awning of our church and homeless people sometimes camp out under there. I think that that's a compliment for us that we're seen as a place of safety. Do you know how hard it is to be in a place like a tent city and not knowing if you'll wake up if your stuff will be stolen, not to be direct or crude or anything like that, not knowing if you'll wake up in the middle of the night being raped, being robbed, being beaten. That, that is what we're serving our city with. We're making a huge difference. We're in dialogue with FEMA right now on a trailer option from them. They sell their trailers as well too, and we are just gonna continue to just find a need and meet it and find a hurt and heal it. And I'm just so grateful that you are a wonderful group of people like that. I want to just give you a couple of quick uh, reopening statements here, and I'm going to make them very quick. You know, sometimes it's not what you, what you have, it's what you do with what you've got. One of the things that we've realized is that it's time to reopen. It's time to reopen. Now, Governor Baker makes an, uh, an announcement on Tuesday right now, although the federal government and the CDC have guidelines the governors still have the final say on what we can and can't do in the states. Uh, and so we've held to Romans 13 that says, submit to the governing authorities above you. Now, if they were to tell us that we cannot speak in the name of Jesus, or if they were to say Fenway Park was open and we couldn't be, this pastor would be breaking glass, making noise, and probably getting arrested. So, but, and then we'd say, we're going underground. We're going to meet in places where they can't stop us. But that's not what's going on. And so we're trying to go with the flow, but this is biblical. Let me give you an example. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And Jesus says, Baptize me. And he said, Baptize you? You should be baptizing me. And he said this, No, this is to be in keeping with all righteousness. If the world is looking for a reason to say that we're a problem, we're going to remove those reasons as much as possible. And so my, I'm not going to make any predictions of what the governor will say, but most likely it'll be in keeping with the CDC. And so as we follow that, I've had the Pfizer vaccination. I did that because I travel to different countries and I just don't want that. I had COVID before that and I could say, well, I have, you know, I've, I've got the antibodies and I'm not taking that. I just, the way I look at it personally, and this is just my personal opinion, this isn't the church's opinion, the elders' position. I'm just saying for me, it can't be worse than the junk they put in my arm when I was a little kid. It's got to have gotten better. But um, I've taken those steps, and uh, I feel fine. I'm alive and well, and uh, I'm going to rock it out. But some of you might have a personal conviction of vaccinations, and I want you to know this. We are not going to look down on anyone who doesn't want to get vaccinated, nor are we going to exalt somebody who does. This is your liberty and your freedom, and you take it. However, we will be in keeping with righteousness of what the state and the government says. So if, if according to the, to the CDC, becomes what the state says, and that if you've been fully vaccinated, you don't need to wear a mask, I'll choose to do that. But I will just say this, if that is not what you've done, I don't question your freedom, I question your wisdom, because Sandy, not to, to, to zero you out, but there are some precious people. My, my, one of my most important prayer warriors is Sandy Adamson, and she's older and she's frail from two hip replacements, 
And I just want to tell you, if you say, I'm not wearing my mask, and you flip that off and you pass COVID to her, I'm going to be sending the ushers your way, and we're going to straighten it out. Because, like, it's not your wisdom that I, it's not your freedom that I question, it's your wisdom. So, so just please, if you would, uh, consider others. But we also realize that with these changes coming, I think they're going to be a lot more freeing and a lot more liberating. I don't think that we're going to see lines being raised as much as lines being removed. And so we realize it's time to reopen. And so we, everything Sunday morning is the most important ministries to fill first. And so we are starting June, the first, I think it's the fourth is the first Sunday in June. June, whatever that is, the first Sunday in June, nursery and toddler church shall be open. Listen to me, those of you watching live stream, parents who have gotten used to, to staying home and just kind of catching up on service later, the first Sunday in June, we are removing that barrier for you. And we will have nursery and toddler church functioning. This will require two things. One, if you have kids in that ministry, we need you serving in there unless there's some unique reason not to. And two, you have to understand that we, can, we would rather have one service that we do successful than two that we do mediocre. So we are going to have the 11 p.m. service to be the service of ministry to families. You may be uh, kind of wanting it to be the earlier service, but the numbers say that that's the more important one. So honor the Lord with the Sabbath, readjust your schedule, go with the flow, and sooner than later, I think we'll have nursery and toddler care in there. The second thing that we also realize that's critically important is ministry to our children. And there are many families who, although they have appreciated the online delivery, they have not been able to bring their kids here and then come to service live themselves. And so we have asked Dina, who is just recently graduated from North Point Bible College. She works in the office, but she graduated with her degree in children's ministry. We're putting a team around her, and we are going to begin to open up children's ministry by the third week, if not the second week, second or third week in June. And we are gonna, we just wanna make sure that one ministry launch is successful and that all of them are staffed. We'll be having a meeting for nursery, toddler, church, everything under the age of uh, 12, all ministries the last Sunday in June, or at the la I'm sorry, the last Sunday in May, and we invite you out to that. The third thing that we've done, which I think is just great, when I came to this church, there was no established consistent youth minister. Now, normally when a pastor comes to a church, what they do is, is they say, I'm gonna make sure my kids are taken care of, but rather than me staffing the church according to the needs of my family, I realized that your families and your children was the priority. So we've always put children's church as the priority. But I realize we have been long overdue for consistency in youth ministry. And so I just turned to Pastor Dylan and I said, Pastor Dylan, would you be willing to shepherd the teenagers of our church with a team of people around you? And he, without hesitation, he said, absolutely, absolutely. And here's what I like about that. He will still do missions. He'll still be sharing this pulpit. He'll still be overseeing small groups and discipleship. However, your children will probably be under one of the greatest biblically sound and actually real cool hipster, lumberjack dressing kind of youth pastor in the planet. And let me tell you what, the mistake that people make with youth pastors is they need to be fun, they need to be rowdy, they need to be excited. And some youth pastors come and they do youth ministry until it's no longer exciting and it's no more fun, and then they leave. Dylan's been here for six years consistent, and he's about to start off plucking away at his Master's of Divinity at Gordon-Conwell, and I couldn't think of a more faithful person to put my adolescent son and your teenagers 
under his care. So he's up there today, and uh, we're going to have some great stuff happening slowly but surely. And uh, I'd like to pray, if we could, for all of these steps forward as we reopen. And if you could stand to your feet, unless you've had surgery, unless you are uh, uh, not able to do that, I want us just to pray very quickly and, and just ask God to bless all of these efforts. Lord, we just hand to you our children, our families. Lord God, first of all, we want you to know that while American liberty says, oh, I'm going to do it my way, I'm going to live free or die, the gospel of Jesus Christ says, do not think of your own needs, but consider the needs of others above yourself. First of all, I pray that we would be biblical in this church, not American, biblical. Lord, I pray that at the same time, that if there are things that this nation ever demands of us that is not biblical, that we would take that stand. But Lord, when it comes to these transitions, I, I pray for favor. I pray if they're deliberating any restrictions that will just make this longer and harder, that she would speak to the government officials and just make this easier and faster for us. We lift up to you toddler church and nursery, parents that can focus on Jesus and know that their children are being focused on with Christ in mind at their age. For children's church, for youth ministry, Lord, we're about to see a great filling of these ministries. And it's not about per persons, it's not about personalities, it's about Jesus Christ. Any ministry that isn't done for the glory of God, any ministry that raises the person's personality above Jesus, Lord, that's not the ministry you want. You want a ministry that is done for the glory of God. And I pray all of these people, whatever they lack, that they would be given by the power of the Spirit and they would be given by the support of others for your glory and your honor. Build the church, Lord. It's yours. Build it, and may the gates of hell not prevail against it. May we begin to take territory for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Can we just celebrate? Like, <laughs> if ever... This pastor's been losing sleep over, like, all of these things, and I'm like, what am I going to do? How am I going to do it? And Jesus is like, who said you're supposed to do it? It's my church. You build it. But, but there are parts of job descriptions and reallocating people, and God's going to help us. So, amen. Well, I want to talk to you very briefly here in the time that we have left, 20 minutes that we have left. And I'd like for us to end with that song that we ended worship with, Defender, because it is really, if, it is the theme song of Israel in the wilderness. They were vulnerable. They were under the oppression of the most powerful government in the ancient world. They were in slavery, and God set them free. They were in oppression, and God liberated them. They were in the wilderness, and they were vulnerable, and God provided for them. He took them through the wilderness. Every enemy was met by the presence of God, and when he took them into the promises that he had for them, and when God takes you into the promises that he has for you, this same promise is yours that it was to Israel. The Lord will go before you and fight for you. I think the problem is, is that we, maybe some of us, I forget how, how young some of you are, and then some of us, we become old dogs that can't learn new tricks, but we forget the battle's not ours, it's the Lord's. It's the Lord's. God fights on our behalf. Your reputation doesn't belong to Jesus. Your victory, listen, you, you, you may be young and spry, you don't have enough strength. You may be a trust fund baby. Their money will, will waste away and wither away. You don't have enough resource. You may have a steady stream from the government, and thank goodness for that, because you wouldn't make it without it, but perhaps you're going to come to realize that maybe that stream won't always be there. But 
God is our provider, he is our protector, he is our defender, and he takes a step ahead of you and me. He is our rear guard, he is all around us, and he is watching out for his children, if you'll just trust him. And so in this series that we've been doing, Exodus, which is like usually exit us, get me out of here. Whenever we hit a problem, we're like, get me out of here. And we don't realize that God has actually allowed this life. And Jesus said it like this, in this world you have many troubles. It, you know, a, a perfect life is not a full bank account and a 401k, owning your own desert island with a boat, and if you're Elon Musk, a, a spaceship, you know, and to have all of this kind of stuff and to think that the problems go away. You know what? Everybody that has all that junk, guess what? They got problems of their own. Problems never leave you. There's always something bigger, better, greater that you'll always crave for that you can't have. And what God wants to do is teach us how to be dependent upon him. And to do that, here's the thing. I, I don't know if you've ever worked with people or partnered with people who are terrible communicators, and they don't tell you what they want, how they want it. And no matter what you do, it's like they're disappointed with you, they're angry with you, and they're frustrated with you. God's, God's not like that. God said, you know what? I'm going to tell my people exactly how to be dependent on me, how to worship me, how to approach me, how to stay in my presence, how to get the different things that they need at different times in their life from my presence. But I wanted them to know that I am with them and that they are with me and how to be with me and to stay with me. And so I'm going to build a church called the Tabernacle. And after the Ten Commandments were given, after the law of Israel was read, after the people committed their life to God, to, to God after they had crossed the Red Sea and done that, God said, now we're going to get down to business, and I want to reveal myself to you. And he does it through the tabernacle. If you would turn with me to Exodus chapter 29, verse 42. Exodus 29, 42. I'd ask you in this church that you would bring a Bible with you, and if you don't have a Bible, that you would have a digital Bible with you, and you would get yourself always in the habit of looking to the Word of God. We used to say at one of our churches, it's like showing up to church without a Bible is like showing up to work with no clothes on. It just doesn't work. It's embarrassing. But, but like, here's, here's why. Not because I want you to say, open up your Bible and do it. I want you to be able to find these stories for yourself so that if I'm dead five years from now, all of a sudden you'd be like, oh my goodness, I need to know how to get near to God. Where's the temple? I can read about that. And then all of a sudden God starts speaking to you again and again and again when you open God's word for yourself. So chapters 25 through 30 is where this whole tabernacle speech is. We'll be on it for a while. But I want to read a key section here. And this is chapter 25, verse 9. I'm sorry. 29, verse 42, I said, right? Stay away from drugs, kids. 29, 42. Okay. Here we go. 29, 42. This is God talking about the offerings that will be offered and talking about the tabernacle as a whole. What's the purpose? Why did God make this? Here it is. It shall be a regular burnt offering throughout your generations at the entrance of the tent of meeting before the Lord, where I will meet with you to speak to you there. How many of you want God to speak to you? How many of you want God to meet with you? I mean, imagine if I could arrange a meeting with somebody famous and important. You know what's funny? 
I don't know anyone famous or important, but I know tons of people. It's like I'm one degree separated from different people. I could say, oh, you want to meet this person, you want to know that person, or whatever. But imagine if you could cut out the middleman and you could say, I could meet with God himself. God says, here, I will meet with you and I will speak to you there. And I will meet with the people of Israel and it shall be sanctified by my glory. I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, Aaron and his sons, and I, and I will consecrate to serve as my priests. I will dwell among them, the people of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. There's a big difference between meeting somebody signing autographs and dwelling with somebody. There's a big difference between being an acquaintance with someone versus being an intimate confidant with that person. What God decided to do when he built the tabernacle, the whole reason before he could get his people into relationship with him, he had to get them into freedom. And so what does God do? He follows the same pattern we do in this church, that you would know who God is, that you would find freedom, and that the place that you're going to discover purpose and discover God and continue to know him and to find freedom and to discover purpose and make a difference is going to be in the presence of God. And so God says, let me set up some physical things, some totems, some memorials, some, some steps so that you can see how to approach me properly, how that I could be your God, that I could be, my presence could be a part of your life, that it could be an active, that you, God would visit you. I hear so many people talk about Jesus and talk about God, and really what I hear them talking about is, is well, I go to church, and, and we sing songs there, and, you know, when I'm going through my week and life's frustrating, I'm like, oh, Jesus, please help me. And, and I, I hear so many people talk like that, but do you know what it is to enter into the presence of God where all of a sudden a problem that's overwhelming your life, a shameful thing that you've done that you can't shake, that the God of heaven and earth suddenly comes down like he did in the tabernacle and he dwells with you, he meets with you, he speaks with you, and it's as if your own emotional human state can't contain it and you're weeping and you're transformed and now all of a sudden you were in denial and ignoring what you were doing was wrong, ignoring what God wanted you to do that was right, and now you can't help stop by saying, I'm sorry, please forgive me. God, help me. Jesus, change me. Lord, I love you. Thank you so much. God, help me. If you haven't had that encounter, I'd question if you've entered into the presence of God. It's one thing to enter into the presence of church. It's another thing to meet with God, to have God speak with you, to dwell, to dwell with him. I have times in my life where it was like that. I'd be driving down the road and I'm overwhelmed with grief. I'm overwhelmed with shame. I'm overwhelmed with anger. I'm overwhelmed with bitterness. And all of a sudden, God shows up and I melt. When was the last time? She melted in the presence of God. I mean, your defenses, your excuses, you're ignoring him, and he just shows up. One moment when he shows up, it just melts it. Helpless. God is such a good God.
there are no words in the human vocabulary that adequately capture what it's like to be undone and in the presence of God. And many people would be comfortable living their life outside of the tabernacle and checking it out in a distance. But here's the interesting thing about the tabernacle as a whole, and I'm going to jump into that, is one of the things about the tabernacle is its design. God was very intentional when he designed this because he wanted to give them tangibles to count. Just like when you're teaching your kids math, you might use apples or dominoes or candy or sometimes tactile kind of thing helps us understand spiritual things. And so he builds a tabernacle, but the first thing he does is he puts a tent all the way around the outside of it. And what's interesting about this tent is that it was seven and a half feet tall it went all the way to the ground, and it left no space or gaps in between, which meant, in other words, you could not really understand, speak to, or be an authoritative voice to what God was like, or what he did, or what it was like in his presence, or what it was to participate in the presence of God from the outside, and you weren't able to peek in. And many people choose to live their life away from that, because it, the reason they do is, is because if they do and they go through it, they're going to be confronted with themselves. Because the very step of all of these things that he put in the tabernacle were designed to expose us not only to God, but also expose us to ourselves. And so he set up the tabernacle in the middle of the Israelite camp, and around the outside, people dwelt in tents. And the first thing that you had to do was to walk through the gate. You see, when you would... <laughs> how many of you, when you were kids, all right, let's just... I'm going to ask, yeah, raise a hand, so I'm going to do this one. How many of you, when you were kids, you snuck into the movie theater without paying? All right, the laughs give you away. Thank you for that honest hand. The laughs give the rest of you away, right? And you just, or you paid for one movie and then you just slipped over into the other theater, right? And then you watched that and then you heard there was something else playing over here and then you went over to that theater and then they got smart to that and so they set up two areas and what they do is, is they show a movie over here and then they show it over there so you can't do that anymore. You just sit around for an hour and they're, you know, popcorn sticking to the bottom of your feet. It's waste. But God set this and said, listen, if you're going to do this, you're going to have to come in through the gate. And you walked in, and the gate, it was beautifully designed. And, and what was interesting about all the cloth on the outside was that it was finely knit linen. And in other words, the breeze could gently get through it, but the sand and the dirt didn't. If you want a relationship with God for yourself, if you want to know what it is to be in the presence of God, you need to be able to create a filter between you and the outside world. The Bible says that early in the morning, daily, Jesus went to a quiet, solitary place to pray. You have to be intentional with prayer. If, you just, if I were to ask you, where do you pray, and you can't answer that question, I almost can guarantee you that chances are you don't have a significant prayer life daily in your life. If I were to say, where do you pray? I've got a couple of spots. My campfire in my backyard, pyromaniac, can't take it out of my blood. I just sit there. I, I have had more conversations with God around a campfire by myself, my basement, my bedroom, Winnikinney Castle, walking around. 
there was a place that was created that has to cut out the distraction. And when he walked in through the gate, which was beautiful and designed and ornate, had a special weaving of gold, and it was beautiful, the first thing that you encountered was the altar of sacrifice. Here is where, if you look at the sacrifices, and we'll talk about this the next time we share on this, but the altar of sacrifice only really one, maybe two sacrifices out of the seven that were created had anything to do with sin. Most of the sacrifice that took place there was, God, I want more of you. Lord, I need peace in my life. Lord, this is how much I love you. It had more to do with devotion to God than it did with forgiveness of sin. But there was the sin offering, and there was the annual day of atonement where they would each year give a sacrifice for all the sins of all the people. And this is the place where we read this morning that there would be an ordained sacrifice for generation after generation, and every year they would come back to this place, and every time they would come here with that sin offering, and it was their way of acknowledging to say, God, before I can come any closer to you, I need to do something, and that means I need to own responsibility for my sins. Here's why so many people live outside of the presence of God. Here's why so many people never get past the altar of sacrifice and into an intimate relationship with Jesus is because they do not own their junk. In my house, in my leadership style, on the teams that God brings to us, you can, you can burn the building you can blow up the bus, but what you cannot do is deny your junk. You have to say, I was wrong. It was my fault. And this is, you ever have somebody where you go to apologize, and they're like, hey, listen, I just want to say sorry. And they're like, no, 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 you don't need to say sorry. No, yes, you do. Because God set up reconciliation not to humiliate it's not like God takes a dog and rubs its face in the mess it makes. No, you have to come before God and say, this is because I disobeyed God. This is because I am not right. This is because I'm rebellious. This is because I'm stubborn. This is because I'm selfish. This is because I am sinful. And no human being will ever get past the altar and into a relationship with Jesus Christ, no matter how often you attend church, no matter how many times you come Easter and Christmas, no matter how many online services you watch, you need to come before God and say, I am a sinner. I am wrong. I need forgiveness. And if you're not willing to say that you're sick, you'll never look for a cure. You're not right. And God doesn't do this to shame you and humiliate you. Look at the cross. How selfless an act. This is the ultimate altar of sacrifice. The book of Hebrews says that Jesus, when he did this, he created a sacrifice once and for all, final and done. But if you're going to move into a relationship with Jesus Christ, you stop making excuses and own your junk. Because after you do that, God says, now I, can, now I can show you what you're here for. There's so many people who have so many opinions about church, but you know why? Because they have no clue. They've never been into the presence of God. They're looking at it from a distance and saying, that's just weird. And then they come to the place, and God says, this is, this is the cost of admission. Many people don't want to pay that price. They always have to be right. 
There always has to be an external reason. Somebody else did it. It's not my fault. It's just, hey, life happens. Listen, we're all human. But the cross means absolutely nothing. I don't care if you've got a bobbled Jesus and a cross on your car and a fish on the back. And tell me, tell you what, if you're not living like a Christian and you have those symbols all over, would you please do us a favor? Would you please get that cross off of your neck, get it off of your car, and when you start living the life and being able to, you know what a Christian life that, and a Christian that's admired is in the workplace, in the, in, in the life space, in the home, is somebody that says, I need God. I'm not a perfect person. But if you're walking around all proud and you can't come to the cross and own your junk, please take that off of your car, take Jesus' name off of your lips, stop giving us a bad name, and just be human like the rest of us. What a great place to be to know that you're a wreck and admit it. You know what's amazing is this, that the beautiful work that God is doing in Dylan Allen's life is going to continue to flourish and blossom, but people who have come to church for 20 years will still be in the same place they were if they never get past this spot. How do you worship God? You can't look from the outside and make comments on something you don't see. You come in through the gate, and Jesus says, I am the gate. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You come, nobody comes to the Father except through him. And then you come here to the altar, which is the cross, but this was an interesting thing. The next piece of, 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 of the next totem, the next physical item of the spiritual relationship of drawing near to God was the bronze laver. And there's a reason why it was made of bronze. First of all, the altar was made of bronze. It's a symbol of judgment, a medal of judgment, but it can take the heat Swords were made of it, but the bronze that was used in the ancient world, there was no such thing as glass mirrors. All mirrors were made of bronze. And the reason this laver, after you offered your sacrifice, was made, the priest would look in the clear water and see the reflection of their face and have to say, this is the real me. And then they would plunge their blood-covered hands into the water, and now no longer did they see them, they only saw the blood which is so true for us with Jesus Christ, is, is that we have to be willing to see, be honest with ourselves, look in the mirror, say, this is me, faults and all, but thank you, Jesus, for the blood, and wash this off. And here's the thing, is, is that some people think that we were made to live at the cross. No, you die at the cross, and you live through the cross, continual in that humility, knowing that you are not worthy, but also knowing that you're not worthless because God sent his son to die for you. And then you came into these other sections. What's, what's amazing is, is two things about all that was in this inner sanctum. First of all, there was the table of showbread. There was the altar of incense. There was the menorah. There are tons of these things you can find in the ancient world. If I were to take you to Israel, in fact, in Shiloh, they have pole marks from where the tabernacle back at the time of, uh, at the time of uh, King David, King, so uh, King Saul, and Samuel the prophet when, the, when it was there. Some people say that this may not be that, but when maybe the Israelites were venerating that during the time of the kings, but the post holes are there, and you can go right into that place. And as it goes for altars, you could find them all over the place throughout Israel. Where, and outside of Israel, some of them were pagan, some of them were, were to what the evil kings did to separate Israel from Jerusalem. We 
found the incense, in fact, the very incense that was made to be offered up before the presence of God, which Revelation tells us is the prayers of the saints, had a special ingredient to it. God is not unclear with how to worship him and the way to approach him. He's given us instruction through his word by everything that was made to show us this is how you do it. And then some of the people in the ancient world were pagan about it and they didn't do it God's way and God's prayers weren't heard. In Jerusalem, the menorah stands there. This is actually a solid gold menorah near the, the, the Temple Mount. Those of you going to Israel in October after all the pre-tourist season violence comes to an end by faith, where they, they have a solid gold menorah. That thing is mega, mega money. That thing is, but it's in glass. It's bolted down. It's watched by cameras. And uh, please don't try to steal it because you'll be tackled by Israeli guards in 30 seconds or less. But that was supposed to be the symbol of us being light. You know, the whole purpose of your life is that you would let your light shine before men so that they would see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven, not, oh, I don't want to offend anybody with my witness. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bowl, but instead they put it on a stand so that their light can be seen. And this is the light of who God is. He shines light on us, and we don't like what we see, but that's why he gave us an altar and a laver so that we could be before God again in the light, to walk in the light as he's in the light, and also to be a light to the world around us. It's so much a symbol of the Israelites that, that coins back in the time of Jesus to the coins today are still what they do. All the ancient graffiti back in the time of Jesus is there, and today I can't show you the real lampstand because the Romans came in and they took all of that stuff, most likely melted it. Where do I think that the Ark of the Covenant is? I think it got melted down a long time ago. It may be a part of your gold chain today, but it doesn't matter. They know how to make it, and they'll rebuild it sometime into the future. But... At the end of the day, God created this whole structure so that we would see and know him as God. And what's interesting is, is if you look at Hebrews chapter 8 and chapter 9, it talks about how God created this from a pattern that already existed in heaven. Listen to this. It said, talking about Jesus, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. They serve as a copy and a shadow of heavenly things. But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then therefore the greater and more perfect tent, not made with human hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, by securing an eternal redemption. In other words, Jesus, we don't have to rely on priests anymore. Jesus has been that sacrifice. He's taking care of all these things and behind the curtain and the veil only one priest the high priest one day out of the year the day of atonement Yom Kippurim they would go into the holy of holies where the ark of God was which by the way the ark of God was not just a it's not a treasure chest the the wings of the angels normally you see angels in the ancient world like this. Most likely the angels were standing with their arms like this, and that was the back seat, and it was seen to be the throne of God. So these pointy little things on the edge, you probably wouldn't have appreciated. They're just decor, but it was literally that believed that this is the throne of God, where God sat. Israel, Israel's king was the Lord. Inside of this covenant, in this box, were three things. One, the rod of Aaron that budded. Two, the manna that he provided in the wilderness. Three, 
the commandments. First of all, let's talk about the commandments. If you feel so justified in your relationship with God, if you can tune him out so well, my encouragement to you for the next month, for 30 days, every day, just read through Exodus, I think it's 20 or 19, read through those things over and over again. If you say, well, I'm a really a good person. No, you're not. You're a thief. You, have you, do you dishonor your parents? Do you, are you, do you have idolatry in your life? Your accomplishment, your self-worth is separate from God. I mean, we could go on and on. We could hit the adultery. We could hit the murder. We could, hit, we could go on and on with that. There's no one righteous, not one. So inside of there, the tent was also called the tent of the testimony because it was the testimony of God's commandments of what he deemed is right and wrong. The Bible says this in Isaiah, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. We want to take an eraser to the commandments of God and rewrite what is right and good, but we don't possess that right. When we do that, when we ignore the testimony of God, we recreate God in our image. My God would never send anyone to hell. My God would never punish anybody for dishonoring their parents. No, God understood what we need in order to be holy and in his presence, what holds a society, what holds a person together, and he didn't just leave us there in shame. He provided a way for us to be forgiven if we're willing to look at ourselves honestly. But that testimony was what he sat over. It was his rules, not ours, not yours. There aren't amendments to his law. There aren't clauses. There aren't loopholes. There aren't cases that take precedent over the original standard. He did it once and done, and he said it, and he said, if you want, and listen, and this is the other part to it. There are many people that will say, I need God. I own my junk. I'm willing to take an honest look at myself. Oh, Lord, I need you to provide for my needs and feeds. Lord, I, I'll tell people about you time to time, and oh, I love to pray, but, but you know what? You will never enter into the holy fullness of God's presence and will you, until you're willing to acknowledge and say, I am not God. God is God. He's the one that determines what's right. He's the one that determines what's wrong. And this is why most people live their life and they can tell you all about church and they can give you their two cents and their, their opinion about it, but the truth of the matter is they're only describing it from here or they're only describing it from there or they're only describing it from here. And the third thing inside of there was the rod of Aaron. There was a rebellion, and every... <laughs> I was young. I remember. Oh, if I was in charge, it would be different. There are some people in church life where the only time you hear from them is when they have a complaint. <laughs> and we have a big thing on our church staff. I'll tell you, this is how it works in, in my team. I say to them this. Do not be a problem spotter. Be a problem solver. The world is filled with problem spotters. Don't need any of that. Spot the problem, but offer a couple of solutions, or let's come together and find those solutions. And, and so Israel was at a place where they said, who does Aaron think he is? He, who does Moses think he is? And they all started complaining, and, Aaron, and God told Moses, he said, tell every leader, every elder, every tribe to get their walking stick and ch chisel their name in there, and we're going to throw it before the presence of God, and we'll see who God chose and who God didn't choose. And in the morning, every stick that was put in there looked the same as everyone else, but then they took the rod of Aaron, they brought it out, and it not only spr sprung a sprout with leaves, but it produced the fruit of an almond overnight. You know what that is? The, if you were to pick the three most important lessons that you need to reside over in order for church to 
to be church and God to be God and leaders to be leaders, God would say, number one, I set the rules, not you. Number two, your provision comes from me, not from your strength, not from your job, not from your trust account, not from your government, but I'm the one that provides daily bread. And when you have no bread, I'll give it to you in the wilderness. Let's put it in a jar and put it in there. I don't ever want you to forget that it's my law. I don't ever want you to forget that I am your provider. And I don't ever want you to forget that true leadership is not defined by criticism. It's defined by fruitfulness. And I'll tell you what, this church is filled with fruitful leaders. And I'm not just talking about Pastor Dylan. And I'm not just talking about myself. I'm talking about the elders that give countless hours of conflict resolution and decisions. This whole church is completely renovated because there were men and women of God that took time and worked hard and took risks. And you know what? Praise God for a board that said, let's open up the doors of our church to Alphabest. This entire winter, we did not pay a single heating bill. We didn't pay a single gas bill. We didn't pay a single plowing bill. We didn't pay a single garbage bill because we allowed the space to be used by a local place that said, we'll take care of the bills if you'll let us use the space. I don't know if we'd have made it through COVID without that. That's fruitfulness that came in the time of COVID. That's your leaders that we've elected as elders in our church who are men of wisdom and men of fruitfulness. I, don't get me wrong. I was that young punk, right? Pfft. I'd be in charge. Everything would be different. Yeah, you aren't kidding. It'd be different. You wouldn't want, it's, I had to wait until I was in my late 40s before God would make me a pastor because I was that much of a problem to him. <laughs> Three things God said in the Holy, you want an intimate relationship with God? You come through the gate. You go through the altar. You wash yourself with the laver. You come to these places. You realize you're a light you realize that you have to have a genuine prayer life and God has ingredients to what true prayer is. The altar of incense and, and the table, that it's not the government, it's not your ingenuity and your business prowess and, and your trust fund that, that provides for you. It's God, which is why we honor him with the first fruits of our wealth, not the last fruits, but the first fruits where we honor God with that. Nobody on my staff is allowed to stay on staff if that isn't a part of their life. Nobody in our elder team is allowed to stay on the elder team unless that's a part of their life. Because you know what the truth of the matter is? Is that your problems don't go away when you have a lot of money. And what happens is, is you end up having a lot more problems. Wealth does not make your problems go away. They magnify the problems you already have in your personality and in your character. It's sad how so many people seek independent, problem-free living and all they do is what, what in the New Testament it says is that many have abandoned the faith to pursue wealth and have brought upon themselves and have pierced themselves with many griefs. If you're willing to admit that God is your source and your provider, and you acknowledge that, and you back that, if you realize that it's not about how uncomfortable you are or how much of fearful you are of sharing your faith, if you just realize if you're just plain old you, and you let your light shine right, and you just give God the honor and glory for that, and you try to do right by God and your fellow man, you let your light shine in it. And if you come before God honestly and say, Lord, I just don't even know how to do this, but, but I, I wanna talk to you, and I, I, I wanna hear from you, and you say that this tabernacle was built, that you might be my God, that you might dwell with me, and that you might speak with me. Well, the, I'll tell you what, it's amazing to me 
that the prayer service is always the least attended service in any church. And we wonder why God doesn't do miracles in our life. This month and next month from 9 to 10 every Saturday, which is the staff's day off, by the way, we're here with you, and I encourage you to come out. Say, God, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray. And the Bible says that prayer is like sweet incense. You, you know what? When, I, when my boys were little, I used to just love listening to them talk to me. And they're older now, and guess what? I still love listening to them talk to me as adults. And it's the same with God. God misses his time with you. This is how a real intimate relationship with God looks. These are why these things were built, to show what, is, what are the real important things in life and faith. And listen, the loud prayer isn't the one that's heard all the time, and, you know, everybody likes to think that their fragrance smells like roses and their life and their prayers are perfect. Some of the most beautiful prayers I've ever heard prayed are ones that people were so broken they could barely get the words out. God, I'm so sorry. Jesus, please help me. I've been such a fool. I've ignored you for so long. I need you in my life again. Help me to treat my family the way I need to. I don't know where to begin. That's prayer. God says, oh, that smells beautiful. Let me give you those answers. And then finally, you're able to come in, as it says in Hebrews, to walk boldly before the throne of God, the, the king's seat, and make your requests known to him. It's interesting, in the book of Hebrews, I was trying to figure this out, because in the Old Testament, the altar of incense stood in front of the curtain here. That's where it belonged. But in Hebrews chapter 9, it says, and in talking about the heavenly, the heavenly ark that the earthly one was made off of, it says that in the heavenly one, the altar of incense was in the Holy of Holies which meant that prayer was happening before the very face of God in heaven. But on earth, there was a separation. And when Jesus hung on the cross, the Bible says that the veil ripped in two, and that in Hebrews, the same author who said that the, in that one, that this altar of incense prayer was taking place before the ark and not before a curtain, he, he says that he has torn, he has rent the veil in two, and that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Do you know there's a big difference between the words mercy and grace? Mercy is you not getting what you deserve. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. See, the beauty of who Jesus is and the beauty of, of God and the beauty of this whole tabernacle that he set up was, was simply this, that you might be able to meet with him even though you didn't have a right to. That you wouldn't be excommunicated from God even though we deserve to be. God, like God's whole mission on earth was, I want a relationship with you and we sabotage it. I want a relationship with you and we sabotage it. And God keeps making a way so that you and, and I can be reunited with Jesus. That's his whole mission. 
is that he would create a place where he could dwell with you, that he would be your God, that you could speak to him, and that you would know that he's the God that delivered you. And that you don't deliver yourself, God delivers you. And here's what I, I just thought in closing here as we, as we end. I'm gonna just have the team play this song one more time. Whatever it is that you need in your life, wherever you're stuck, if you're outside of the veil and you're looking and you're making criticism about church from the outside and you're, you're, you're this, that, and the other thing, um, you know, or maybe you have never walked through the gate or you're watching online or you're here in church for the first time and you just walked into the gate and you're like, oh, wow, I just thought church was this place that like, I didn't realize that that was the cross. I didn't realize that God wanted to shine through my life. I didn't realize that God wants to, God knows that I still have needs even though I've got means. I didn't know that God wanted to talk to me. I didn't even know that God wanted to talk back to me. I, I can stand before God, yeah. He saved you, he's delivered you. He wants a relationship with you. And so we're gonna just sing this song, Defender. I think it's the theme verse of Israel. All I did was worship. All I did was bow down. All I did was stand still. And when you do that, God will part rivers. He'll drown armies. He'll create paths. He'll be a warm light, a pillar of fire in the night. He'll be a cloud from the scorching sun in the day. He'll fill your table. He'll shine your light. He'll hear your prayers. And as we sing this, I just encourage you, afterwards, you can get up and quietly go when you feel released, but let's get back into relationship with Jesus. Oh, I used to be so close to God. I used to be, man, I remember in church when, but you know what? It ain't happening anymore. That was then, this is now. He's still the same God. He's the same yesterday, today, and what? forever. Let him be your God. Thank you. Wow.